Hello and welcome to the Arise and Build podcast. This is Jody Grace and we're here to inspire, educate, and activate believers in Missouri to steward and protect freedom in every area of life, especially here in the heart of America. We're going to be talking about what's happening right here in our culture, how it connects to scripture, and what we can do to bring our conservative Christian values back into the public square. If you haven't already, I'd love for you to go ahead, hit the subscribe button so you can get our updates and join us as we work together, just like Nehemiah and the Israelites did, to arise and build a wall around the great state of Missouri. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast today. We have an awesome guest with us from Independence, Missouri. His name is Joe Nicola, and he's running for state senate in 2024. So welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you very much, Jody. It's great to be with you. Appreciate all the work you're doing too in your ministry. Well, I appreciate you. Thank you for that. And uh, so just introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them who you are and what compelled you to run for state senate. All right. Well, I've been a uh, pastor for 33 years in independence. Um, I'm a U.S. Navy CD veteran, an author. I've owned a small business, worked for the school district for about 17 years here locally. And because of 2020 with the COVID lockdowns, um, that was about the last straw for me. I've always been pretty much um, involved in government to some degree. I've never run for office before until last year. But um, when I saw our rights just being taken away and the Constitution basically being trampled on, and I made a decision not to shut our church down nor to force people to wear masks um, or social distance. They could do it if they wanted to. And because of that, I lost um, several pastor friends uh, because of my stance. So I just started um, getting involved in some political groups, pachyderm meetings and things around town, just to listen to what people were talking about, what they're concerned about, uh, maybe as a pastor, what I can help with, um, how I can maybe get involved. And one thing led to another, and I just really was compelled out of a sense of duty that um, I needed to run for office. And so that's that's what I did. That's how I really got into it. I... Um, never really paid much attention to local government, to be honest, or even to state government. And um, during this whole process, I was watching some meetings online, especially from our county legislator, legislature, and was just completely shocked um, how we have actually some Marxists on the legislature and uh, some of the things that they were doing and um, things they weren't wanting to enact in our county. And I just, I could not hardly believe it. So all of those things, that to say, that's that compelled me out of a sense of duty. You know, our government is formed um, for civil citizen participation, and uh, we need to, everybody needs to be involved, um, even more so than just, just uh, voting. So yeah. that's how I got into it, and yeah. Well, I think you and I have um, have a little bit, in common in the way that we got involved in politics was, you know, after all of the COVID business and after that election in 2020, um, you know, I, I share that same opinion when I, you know, watching, walking through that whole um, experience and seeing what happened 
uh, to churches, to businesses, um, you know, with the vaccines, uh, just the whole thing. And then, uh, of course, the election in 2020, it was the spring of 21 that I felt, you know, really compelled to get more involved. And I think a lot of us are that way. I think a lot of, of Americans across the country, a lot of Missourians really, you know, went through a time of waking up and realizing right. that, wait a minute, hey, you know, we've got to do something. We can't just assume any longer that God is just going to take care of everything while we sit in our church pews and pray. Exactly. Exactly right. So that's one of the things that I really wanted to discuss with you today because you're a pastor. And I unfortunately, and I'm, when I say this, I'm not really talking about one particular church or one particular denomination. Um, I'm talking about the religious system in America as a whole. Um, But the church, the religious system in America, I believe has failed in equipping and preparing the church body to participate or even or even um, helping them see the need to participate. Right. right. Um, so tell me about how you how you feel about that. And I mean, obviously, you believe that you should be participating, but uh, let's talk about <laughs> yeah. the church. Let's talk about the church in America and um, the church's relationship to government. Sure. And I agree with everything you just stated, too. Um, Here's how I present it to Christians, but specifically to other pastors. If we really care about people, if we love people, then why are we not involved in politics and government? Because every law, every regulation, every ordinance is affecting every citizen on a daily basis. It's affecting their lives. So why, if we care about people, why are we not caring about these laws and ordinances and regulations? Right. And if we stay out and we're not involved, well, somebody's going to be making those laws and regulations and ordinances. Right. And it won't be us. Right. You know, (laughs) one of the things that um, I've told people, uh, you know, throughout the last couple of years is that you know, truly when you kind of wake up to this and then you realize, I just, you realize all of a sudden that, you know, well, if, if the church isn't going to support and encourage and talk about these things, um, in a way that we're raising up leaders within our belief system, then how in the world do we think that we're going to elect leaders outside of our belief system who are going to uphold our beliefs? That's right. <laughs> That's just, it's really just, um, it's just really stupid, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You're right. It, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, we exactly. can expect, uh, you know, Jezebel to act like Jezebel, but we shouldn't expect Jezebel to act like a Christian, right? That's right. <laughs> like, um, exactly. So tell me this, and I have talked with, you know, I've had the opportunity to talk with a variety of pastors. Um, uh-huh. Some of them more willing to get involved or to even speak to their congregation, honestly. There are so many yeah. pastors who are just not willing. And, you know, I had, I've gotten some different responses from the pastors that I've talked to, but what do you feel, you know, from being inside that community? 
what do you feel is the biggest hangup for our pastors and our churches, um, and why are they hesitant? Um, well, I'll just get right to the point. It always boils down to money. When and, and I've heard pastors say this, uh, politics is too divisive. Um, the bigger the church congregation, uh, the more likely you're going to have Democrats and Republicans and Libertarians. You're going to have a variety. You start preaching the truth, and and this is where really it boils down to me. Because um, when I, I hear pastors say, and I've been in pastor conference that I, the speaker was a pastor and actually said, we don't talk about politics because it's too divisive. And I wanted to yell out, well, you must not preach the Bible because the Bible's truth, and there's nothing more that is divisive than truth. Mm-hmm. But if you start speaking the truth like that, then because the, truth divides, right? Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. Mm-hmm. And it, it divides and it separates. Um, that's, that's just a, a natural result of, of truth. And so you start preaching like that, you're going to lose people. I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had people walk out and not come back because of it. And when you lose people, what do you lose? You lose money. Mm-hmm. And the vast uh, majority of pastors that I know of have misdefined what success is. Success is not more numbers, more more money, more buildings, more programs. The way God defines success is faithfulness. Are you faithful? to do what he's called you to do. That's it. Not producing more people, producing more money. I mean, Jesus had 12 close guys. So if that's the way we're going to define success, then Jesus, we have to say Jesus was a failure if he only had 12. So that, that is what I would say is the biggest. I know a lot of people will say it's the 501c3. Um, that's hideous. I, we have never been a 501c3 as a church. And you don't have to be, um, but but I think others pass. Some pastors hide behind that that we're a five hundred one c three and we can't, and that's not true either. You can look right. at what the Democrats do. Right, <laughs> they bring in politicians right in and and even post it online. Right, um, and the so, truth is that there has not been one church in America, not one, right, lose right. their five hundred one c three status because of politics. Yeah. Now, I can't say that there have been no lawsuits, but no one has ever won. No one has ever, no church has ever lost the lawsuit and lost their 501c3 status because thankfully today we still have a United United States Constitution that protects our free speech and our freedom of religion. That's right. So exactly right. Uh, the 501c3 issue really is not an issue. I agree. Now, maybe, maybe there are some pastors who believe that and they don't really understand right. the truth. But um, the truth is that the 501c3 status is a non-issue. That's right. Exactly. And... Exactly. Uh, you know, I think like you, the pastors that I've talked to either are like you and they're ready and they're willing to take a stand for truth and to talk about the harsh realities of government and our culture, um, or they're afraid to upset somebody. Uh-huh. Um, you know, 
probably money is oftentimes at the root. I don't know that they necessarily, you know, of course, when you talk to them or when somebody like me talks to them, that that's not what they say. No, exactly. (laughs) That's not what what they say, but, um, but they, they want to be protective. And, um, you know, I think that leads to like deeper, deeper questions and deeper issues with our church. Because if we're unable as a body of believers to talk about things that are hard, then what does that really say about our depth of faith and our depth of belief? Exactly. Um, You know, I mean, we're talking about politics, but it could be anything. Uh, And I think that this is something in our culture that the church deals with, is that the church also has not equipped or discipled their membership um, to do things like confront people with hard issues and have hard conversations um, and still come out at the end of the conversation with a spirit of love and peace. You know, we can right. agree to disagree. <laughs> we can have hard conversations. And it's actually biblical to confront people. <laughs> Absolutely. Jesus did it all the time. Um, but, That's right. But oftentimes I feel like Everybody, including the pastors and including the church and including church leadership, would prefer would prefer to just take the easy way out and um, bow to this sort of cultural movement or expectation. Uh, just that we need to be kind all the time, that we need right. to show kindness and show love, and um, that that equates to avoiding confrontation. Right. Yep. Yeah, there's been, you know, at least a handful of teaching within the body of Christ that's that's lent to this. You mentioned love. Um, a lot of the love message is a perverted, it's more of a human type love. That, that message uh, is not, the overall message through the body of Christ is not a biblical message of love. Everything Jesus said and everything Jesus did was, was pure, 100% love. So when he came into the temple with a cord and started knocking tables over, that was love in action. Mm-hmm. And you know, but what if I it re- happened today? Right. <laughs> you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't define it as love. No. If somebody did that. Right. I actually reread that scripture just last week, sometime in the last several days, and you know, he actually took time to make that whip. Yeah. It wasn't a spur of the moment. Grab a whip on the side of the road and walk into the temple and start, you know, whacking it around. Right. That display that we saw inside the temple was something that he prepared for. Right. Yeah. It was intentional. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. And he did it twice. Mm -hmm. He did it at the beginning of his ministry and did it at the end. So, um, Yeah, I think that there are some things that, you know, in the church, and I don't want to be, I know that pastoring is an incredibly difficult thing to do, um, but I think somehow the Church of America, honestly, obviously, the Church of America has lost its way because truly the culture in America is the report card of the church. That's that's great. That's a great way to put it. If... 
If the church was really on track and successful, we wouldn't be seeing these things happen in the first place uh, right. in the culture. Exactly. And and there is, you know, there's some thought with uh, a lot of Christians, in, and I believe some pastors too, that isn't this biblical? Isn't this what is supposed to happen? It, things mm-hmm. are getting worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Um and so there's a hands-off approach because of it. And let's just, we, everything's within the, within the building and the ministry, you know, the church, it's not so much within the culture and God will take care of all of that. We're just basically want to save people and wait till Jesus comes back. When, when in reality, we are supposed to confront evil everywhere we find it. Mm-hmm. And there's such a misunderstanding within the Christian community about our involvement in government, but it doesn't need to be. It's all through the Bible. For instance, right in Genesis, and most of the time, you know, when God created man, he gave him two purposes. He said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And that first one is the one most of us remember and talk about. But in the same sentence, he said, and subdue the earth and rule over it. That's governmental. Mm -hmm. And God created, you know, when he created everything, he established himself as God creator. He created man. Now man is, is now responsible to a living God. Then he gave man a spouse and created family. And now husband and wife as co-creators, co uh, equals having children have now created, God created a family government. And for centuries, that's how the world was run by family government. It wasn't until Genesis 11 when the Tower of Babel and then cities were being built and we, God moved into the civil government. But it's all family. It, it, it was first individuals to God, then it's families and children are responsible. You know, God gave uh, parents, children, and they were the ones that it was a family government and they taught and created, you know, their kids prepared them, um, to multiply and to also create when it says right in Genesis, when a man leaves his parents and, and, you know, he smits, he comes into his wife, they become one and create another whole government. And then, you know, I've, I've mentioned this to, to some pastors. I said, you know, you don't, want to talk about government or politics, but you do realize that every Sunday you worship a king, right? Right. (laughs) Right. That is a governmental title. Matter of fact, that's what Pontius Pilate put over his, on the placard above his cross, Mm -hmm. king of the Jews. That's what he was condemned for. He was condemned and sentenced to crucifixion because of his political governmental position. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's who we worship. And he is coming back someday to set up his kingdom. Matter of fact, he even told us that the last gospel, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached before the end. That's a, the kingdom is a governmental system. Right. I mean, it, it is all through the Bible. And, and I've heard him even say this, that Jesus never, you know, got involved in government. Oh, he didn't. He paid taxes. Right. Matter of fact, every time he spoke to the Pharisees, he was speaking to the governmental leaders, mm-hmm. because within within Israel, um, the Pharisees were not only the religious leaders; they were also the governmental leaders. 
it was the Pharisees along with Rome that came and arrested Jesus. They put Jesus in a Jewish prison. So there's so much, you know, uh, evidence about the us being involved um, in, in government and, and politics um, that it's it's actually hard to miss. Right. Uh, you have to have somebody help you miss that. <laughs> right. It's like you have to be intentionally uh, not wanting to see it. I feel like after yes. after you realize it and you see it, you can't unsee it. You can't. It's right. everywhere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. You know, even in, I mean, it is just throughout from the Old Testament forward. You know, I talk a lot about Nehemiah or I have been talking a lot about Nehemiah. And, you know, I mean, Nehemiah had an official position with the king, uh, you know, to begin with. And then he is uh, given the privilege, uh, the responsibility of rebuilding that wall around Jerusalem. The, the king actually paid his way to do that, but it was a call of God on his heart that, that he rebuilt that wall. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, government was involved all throughout that story, and um, you know, without without Nehemiah being willing to do what God called him to do in and through the government, he ended up being governor um, and uh-huh. overseeing you know that whole area. And I've um, I've said a few times to some different people, you know, in the book of Ezra, they rebuilt the temple. Um, after it had been destroyed, they, that was a, the key, right, to their, to their living was their worship of God. So they rebuilt the temple. Uh-huh. But without the wall in Nehemiah, the temple was at risk. The temple could not survive without the wall right. of protection and the government um, established there in Jerusalem. The, the temple wouldn't have survived and you know in america we take so much for granted oh we do and one of the things i think that we have taken for granted is our our right to worship you know our ability to gather at the church um or wherever Uh we choose uh to gather and worship um and without a government of safety without the constitution without the government, um, that constitution being upheld, we don't have a right to worship. You're right, exactly. I mean, it was given to us by God, yes, but it's protected in the constitution. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was asked uh, at one point by a, by a pastor, you know, well, Jody, what do you think that the government's really for? Because... You know, basically, the statement was that he was more concerned about the Bible than the government. Uh-huh. And, right. yeah. and I understand the sentiment. I, I understand what he was saying. But I I replied with this with this sentiment that, you know, yes, I agree. The Bible is paramount. And my relationship with the Lord is more important than anything else. But it's the constitution and it's the government that protects Americans right to be able to worship. And so the church won't exist without the constitution. 
And I think that some point in our history, maybe we just thought, oh, every, you know, the culture we live in is generally Christian. It's generally good. Um, and yeah, we would do that. Like you couldn't, you couldn't even fathom the church not existing. But yeah. today, it's, it's like a no brainer to me. If the constitution mm-hmm. isn't upheld, the church, I think the church as we know it will cease to exist. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I mean, they, they showed us what they want to do uh, in 2020 mm-hmm. with the shutdowns and lockdowns. Yeah. And, you know, um, when when I got involved in the spring of 21, God called me to the Capitol here in Jefferson City. And I went. I really didn't know a thing. I didn't know a, anything about what I, he was actually asking me to do. I just it was one of those things. He called me to step out in faith. And so I went and he started to open doors. Uh-huh. Um, but in the spring of 21, they were they passed. They actually passed a covid liability bill. And part of the problem with that COVID liability bill is that they protected the hospitals, the nursing homes, all of these big businesses, the big retailers, the marketing people, you know, the big pharmacy companies. They protected all of those companies in regard to anything that would have to do with COVID. So if Uh you had a patient who was neglected or, you know, if something went wrong with a COVID related product or anything like that, if you had an elderly family member die in a nursing home who hadn't been cared for correctly or, you know, any of those liability issues, all of those big corporations were protected. They had zero liability. Right. Uh, They removed all the liability from those big business organizations, but they left the church liable. Uh They left small businesses liable. They left individuals liable but they protected all the big guys. Right. And so we had pastors who were afraid to open. And part of their fear was related to liability. Uh Um, So I don't have any doubt that unless we work to protect the church and protect our right to worship, to assemble, um, I think they're coming after it. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt in my mind. And every one of our freedoms uh, that's spelled out in the Bill of Rights. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so I know that we've talked, uh, Joe, before, you know, one of your passions is to do just that, is to protect our liberty, our individual liberty and freedom. Yes. And um, talk to me a little <clears throat> bit, tell me a little bit about, you know, let's get into more policy type issues. Uh, what are the policy issues that are important to you that you see happening? Um, yeah. So parents' rights um, have been taken away uh, little by little. And most all, you know, most of our rights, it's it's kind of a drip, right? Just little by little. Exactly. Um, sucking our rights away, raising our taxes here in Jackson County, um, they didn't do it by a drip. They just they did it by a, a gigantic leap. And, um, you know, people's assessments went up 25, 50, some well over 100 percent in taxing people out of their homes. And see, this is this is where I get into even being a pastor or a Christian. Do we not really care for people? You know, when I the first 
as soon as they started, uh, these assessments came out and the increases were so high. My first thought was, how are elderly people on a fixed income going to be able to keep their homes? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's where's the body of Christ? Where's the church? I mean, in this whole thing, where are the pastors? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that will get out there and, and say something. I, I, you know, we had a rally here in Kansas City. I think I was the only pastor that I was aware of that was there um, about about all of these things. So, you know, property taxes, um, in all taxes really are way too high. Our state budget is completely bloated. We need to cut spending. But uh, I'll go back to parents' rights again. Um, I'm very concerned what's happening with with uh, parents, with the school system. And, um, you know, I support education freedom. Parents need to have the right. And we do have school choice already here in Missouri, but they need to have the right to educate their kids how they see fit. God gave parents kids, not the school district, not the government. And when I say that, I mean with no strings attached from the government. Because once you start taking federal money, then you are subject to the government's regulations and what they want done. So education is, and I worked in the school district for 17 years. Um, I've seen some of it. I've had some experience with, you know, with that. Um, So that's uh, a heartbeat of mine. We need secure elections. If we don't get some solid election security um, in our state and every state, our freedom's gone. Mm -hmm. We're not going to have freedom. Uh, Human trafficking, another one that um, I'm very passionate about. And um, uh, very few people really even talk about this in a legislative, you know, elected officials. Um, I don't hear much conversation about the human trafficking and how we're going to stop it. What are we going to do? I mean, we have police departments here around us. They're not even trained um, in how to identify victims or perpetrators. Right. And they need more training. Yeah. The trafficking issue, um, you know, I don't know that we have personally had a conversation, but you know that that's also a passion of mine, um, specifically in regard to child trafficking. But, yes. um, and I know that in Kansas City, there is a problem. I've talked to people who live there. I've talked to people who, um, you know, have been on the front lines there in with this issue with trafficking. Um, and it is an issue. And I agree. I don't hear legislators discussing it. Um, I don't hear them discussing it at all. And that's something that I'd like to see happen as well. And I'll be honest and tell you, I haven't done a ton of research into what legislation maybe we need or what pieces or parts of our laws need to be, you know, amended or changed in order to make it better. But I have seen some report cards from, uh, you know, nonprofit organizations who do work in that area and, Missouri's grade is not acceptable to me. Um, yeah. You know, it was basically a failing grade across the board in regarding um, our policy around trafficking. I think that we have a problem here in Missouri. And like I said, I won't be able to get into the details, but it's my understanding that we have a problem really honoring and protecting victims. Um, you know, in regard to trafficking and oftentimes the victim is the one who's actually punished. 
um, instead of the people who are behind the problem. And um, so, yeah, I agree. I think I would like to see um, see some things happen in that area. I know that, you know, that may may not be what's burning the house down right now is in regard to freedom, but right. But I think that scripturally we have an obligation to protect the innocent, uh, especially yeah. our kids. And if I can speak into this for just a second, <laughs> not just it just reminded me of something. Um, there's there's quite a bit of confusion that I have found out over the years because I've been talking about, especially from the pulpit and even with pastor friends about government, politics, I don't know, probably 15 years or better. And one of the things that I noticed and started speaking into and trying to help educate with is God created the body of Christ. He created, uh, and really he, Jesus never said he would build a church. He said, Ecclesia. Ecclesia is a governmental word. What Jesus said he was going to build is the government of the kingdom of heaven on earth. But God also created civil government. And if you read Romans uh, 13, or which that's a whole nother topic and taking way out of context, or 1 Peter, God created civil government to reward the righteous and punish the wicked. He created the body of Christ, the ecclesia, for another purpose. They're both governmental, but they both will complement one another. For instance, just like when Romans 13 says that civil government, it does not bear the sword for nothing. It's it's a punishment of the wicked and a rewarding of the righteous mm-hmm. or rewarding of those who obey the laws of the land. <clears throat> so I'll use immigration. Civil government is to secure our borders, punish people who come across illegally, send them back. But what's the obligation of the ecclesia or the body of Christ? If there is take caring, take care of people. Let's let's look at the human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Is it government's responsibility to take care of the victims, or is it the body of Christ? It's a, the way God designed it. It's the body of Christ's responsibility to take care of the victims. The civil government needs to have strong laws to punish the wicked. Mm-hmm. You see, and they work hand in hand, but that's not reality. Right. Right. The church has has retreated inside the the four walls, mm-hmm. has has you know left the public square, and then Christians, because of this the the incorrect teaching of the two entities in government that God created and how they are to function and complement one another, now Christians think government needs to do everything, right? And yeah. and they're supposed to be Christian. Yep, they need to do Christian things. Mm-hmm. No, that's that that is that is a perverted way of uh, uh, what God has God has created, the way He created it to function. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just like Jesus gave a parable. You know, of uh, the guy. I think he was robbed and beat up or whatever, and this, the good Samaritan took care of him. Right? The, pr- right, the priest walked by, and you know, all these are walking by. And this good Samaritan took him into his home and he cleaned him up and he took care of him, gave him money, made sure he was okay. That's the body of Christ's responsibility. What's the civil government's responsibility? Find that guy that did it to him, the perpetrator, and punish him. Right. 
You right. see how they, they complement one another, but we're expecting the government to do everything now and the church right. just to preach the gospel. And I think that's part of the reason that, you know, we see these inflated budgets is because for, for some reason, uh, we think that it's the government's obligation to, you know, provide for right. everything, for everyone, that's have all exactly these right. programs and provide this and provide that. And, you know, when you talk, talk to some people that are more left-leaning than I am, they'll say, well, don't you, don't you believe that our kids and our, our women need to be taken care of and they need to have food and they need to have shelter and they need to have this? Yes, I do believe that. But it's yeah. not the government's responsibility. That's the church's responsibility. And if exactly. the church were fulfilling that obligation and responsibility, the government wouldn't need to. Exactly right. And I'll even go back to what I was mentioning before, the way God created government, first him, then family. Well, if you read the New Testament, it's the family's responsibility to take care of their own. Yes. It's the family's responsibility to take care of their parents. Right. In old age. Right. You know, so we've just got all of this so far out of whack. Right. um, With God's original intent. Right. And it's not even, you know, it's not biblical or scriptural um, this idea that we all have equal outcomes. Exactly. It just isn't. That's um, right. It's really not even scriptural that we have equal opportunity necessarily. I love equal opportunity, don't get me wrong. But, you know, in the parable of the talents, Jesus gave, or the serve the master in this, t- in this parable, you know, three servants, and they each got different amounts. They right. One got 10, one got five, you know, the other got one. They, they didn't start out equally, um, but they were expected to do the best with what they had been given. Right. Yeah. You know, I think in this culture, we've just, we really have perverted that. Everybody feels like we all have to be the same. And that really is not scriptural at all. No, it's not. Well, it's because Marxism and communism has crept into every facet of our society, even within our seminaries and within church. Right. Well, I would love to talk with you for another half an hour, but uh, we need to (laughs) wrap this up. Joe, I really appreciate you. I appreciate you for stepping up to the call and uh, participating even in a pastoral level with your church, being willing to talk about these things and empower your congregation um, to be active, encouraging them to be active in the public square we need more pastors like you and i just i know that stepping up to run isn't an easy thing to do it really is a huge step of faith and i appreciate you for that and i'm just i hope that you know that we're praying for you i'm certainly on your side and rooting for you in your campaign and if there's anything that we can do to support you please let us know Oh, Jody, thank you very much. It's very, very kind of you to say, and I appreciate what you're doing. Keep up the good work. Keep going forward, um, and uh, we'll we'll let we'll let the Lord continue to lead us and guide us uh, all every step of the way. Yes, and, and amen. All the glory. Amen. I agree. Well, you have a great day, Joe, and I'll talk to you soon. I will. You too. Thank you so much. Uh huh. Bye bye. Alrighty. Bye bye. Hey, thanks for spending some time with me today. I really appreciate it. I hope you found it beneficial and valuable. I'd really encourage you in the next few days to pick up your Bible and grab the practical tools you need to arise and build. Don't forget to subscribe and check out the blog at jodygrace.com. I'll see you soon.